Welcome to Citizens Climate Radio. In this show, we highlight people's stories, we celebrate your successes, and together we share strategies for talking about climate change. I'm your host, Peter Toscano. Welcome to episode 45 of Citizens Climate Radio, a project of Citizens Climate Education. This episode is airing on Friday, February 28, 2020. Later in the show, we will hear several of your answers to last month's puzzler question. When you asked Heather if she wants to join your climate group, she said, don't take this the wrong way, but I don't have time for climate work. I feel bad saying that, but I have a job and two children in school. I just don't have time to be out protesting right now. We will hear what listeners had to say. In the Art House, I chat with Irish author Shirley McMillan. So far, climate change hasn't come up in any of her novels. Like Heather in our puzzler question, Shirley felt she didn't have the capacity to take on more in her already busy life. But first, we hear a story that starts in Princeton, New Jersey, with a pre-med student concerned about climate change. He became excited about one solution in particular, carbon fee and dividend. Through Citizens Climate Lobby, Jonathan Liu and fellow Princeton students learned about a proposed national policy to price carbon and give the revenue back to households. That inspired him to ask, could this be done in New Jersey? A handful of college students came up with a policy proposal. The Climate Investment and Carbon Cashback Policy. And we at the New Jersey Student Climate Advocates are developing it and hope to introduce as legislation. The policy is aimed at cutting New Jersey's greenhouse gas and polluting emissions in the most cost-effective way while investing in making New Jersey a leader in the clean economy and protecting the most vulnerable households and businesses. Having a good idea is one thing, but doing all the hard work to make it a reality is quite another. Jonathan and his friends realized they needed help researching New Jersey state law. They also needed to speak with over 100 stakeholders all over the state. They wanted to make sure their idea for a legislation would appeal to as many people as possible. Luckily, they found a group of hardworking, intelligent, and creative climate advocates who enthusiastically joined the cause. People like Ahan Reina and Aurora Yuan. Uh, Han is incredibly thoughtful member of our team. He's held multiple positions as part of our group, working on the research team, looking at economic policy in New Jersey, as well as working on you know our political strategy team and uh, labor outreach team, where he's speaking directly with stakeholders, thinking about how we design our policy to address uh, the concerns of stakeholders. Uh, Ahan has an incredible amount of initiative and a real love of this work and a love of learning. The first time I met him, he had read our entire 100-page white paper, which I think even our founders or even some of the legislators have not had a chance to read. He's so passionate and he's so thoughtful and he's, I think, a, a valuable independent voice where he's pushing us to engage with people we don't talk to all the time, people who might disagree with us but always brings us forward with a positive, positive energy. And yes, Aurora. Aurora is, you know, incredibly passionate and also thoughtful. She is selfless. We might have uh, some potential issues, some potential conflicts, but she's thoughtful about trying to come together for a positive solution. 
she's done an amazing job as director. She's made herself available. She has worked closely with the leads to see how they need support with the individual project leads. And she's also done a great job at reaching out to students and youth all across New Jersey and leading that, leading that effort. What Jonathan didn't mention is that both Ahan and Aurora began working on the New Jersey Climate Investment and Cashback Policy about a year ago. They were both 15 years old. Around like eighth grade, I was interested in it. Like I think when the Paris Agreement was happening, uh, that UN conference, that was a very inspiring time as well. So I was always very aware of the problem. I met someone who told me about CCL. I think I was having a conversation with him about carbon fee and dividend. He was like, hey, there's this group of people, everyday people who are you know, taking time out of their days to lobby for this policy. They aren't real uh, lobbyists. They aren't paid to do this. They're just putting their time into it. I attended some chapter meetings and that's actually where I met Jonathan. Uh, that's where we started talking. I kind of started getting this idea. This was before things like the Energy Innovation Act happened and we got so much progress on the national level. But I was thinking that state policies are probably a very useful avenue to go because you're building momentum for what might become a national policy. When I heard about what Jonathan and the group were doing, I was very, very excited to try and see if I could play a little bit of a part in that battle. Before getting involved, I was never really someone who was involved with a lot of policy or like activism, but I went to the symposium where Jonathan was hosting. He was really passionate about it. It sounded really cool. And after hearing a lot about it, I thought it was really awesome and I wanted to join. And then ever since, I've been involved with a lot of climate activism and a lot of policy work as well. Ahan and Aurora jumped right into the work. Yeah, when I first joined, I did research, which was like what most of the group was oriented towards. At the time, I was taking like economics in, in high school. One of the great things about the group was that I was able to apply what I was learning in school every day there. So you might learn something about inflation. And then you're applying that thinking to this thing, which will have real world consequences. At the same time, we're discussing strategy, political strategy. So we were writing this paper, but we obviously wanted to see this become a bill at some point. So we were asking for feedback from different legislators, different stakeholders from across the state. I do work with some policy, but I mostly involve myself with a specific team in our organization called Youth Outreach. And I lead that team. And mainly we do a lot of outreach to students, not only getting them involved with our group, but also getting them involved with climate and policy work in general. Since I've taken on this leadership role, I've also taken on the role of one of the co-directors of this organization, along with a few other um, amazing people. A key part of the research was to speak with stakeholders. Jonathan explains they branched out beyond the usual suspects. To get a bill passed, that means a certain amount of votes. And how are you going to get legislators to vote in certain ways? It's by talking to the stakeholders, the members of their communities. It's not even just about passing the bill, but it is about like really understanding and listening to the concerns of stakeholders. You know, what we've tried to do is reach out to businesses, businesses in kind of the clean energy and clean economy area, but also other businesses like manufacturers energy efficiency companies, truckers, really kind of the the gamut of Jersey businesses. We've also reached out to environmental groups, you know, labor groups, many of whom might disagree because their jobs might depend on, on fossil fuels. We've spoken with mayors 
from all across New Jersey, not just the main hubs around central Jersey, but like also New Jersey's urban areas and their more rural areas. Ahan explains the next steps of the process. The priority right now is just getting the bill right, making it as good as possible. Because before we can fight for it, before we can do the making of the sausage, as people say, in the actual politics of it, we want to make sure it's the best thing possible for New Jersey citizens. So right now we're at a process where we're, we're having a lot of debate um, within the group. We debate different aspects of the policy, just trying to make sure every perspective is heard. We're not missing anything. After this sort of debate part is over, we have like a set of ideas in our bill, which we can feel comfortable fighting for and um, potentially bargaining with, playing the politics with, because that's obviously an inevitable part of this process. Going through this process to shape the best proposal possible, these student leaders learned the importance of cooperation, Jonathan explains. When we model cooperation, we are trying to speak with stakeholders and generally come from a place of trying to see how we can work together and how we can help. We talk about trying to get feedback that nothing is finalized and we want to hear their thoughts and make sure that we're advancing their interests. Because it's not just about passing climate policy, but how can we do that in an equitable and effective way? You know, originally we were working straight off of the Citizens Climate Lobby Energy Innovations and Carbon Dividends Act. But there are several major like modifications where we were taking ideas from other state policies to address concerns that our stakeholders were bringing up, concerns about how their revenue might be able to be used to invest in New Jersey's infrastructure or protecting New Jersey's more vulnerable businesses. Those have been like major concerns brought up and we've We've adjusted the policy, yes, uh, to address that. As a result, they designed a carbon pricing idea that includes benefits for New Jersey households and businesses. Ahan's research helped the team consider this feature of the bill. The idea of carbon-free dividend is there are costs which are incurred from, you know, putting a price on carbon everywhere in the economy. And so you want to give some of that money back to households, ideally, so that you can keep the incentive of reducing your emissions, but not hurt people economically. It could also be lowering taxes on uh, businesses, things along those lines. And so that that, that original research helped lead to uh, the fact that we might also be giving tax credits to businesses as well as also individuals, particularly because in New Jersey, we have a lot of manufacturing and our tax rates are a little bit higher than a lot of our neighbors. And so it's especially important for us to protect the businesses as well. Speaking with Ahan, Aurora, and Jonathan, I heard their excitement about going deep into the weeds of legislation and policy. As they did their research, though, a student strike movement was rapidly growing in momentum throughout Europe and North America. Angry and motivated young people demanded leaders act quickly. They're rightfully so angry. I mean, we've been handed something, the planet, it's really being destroyed. Climate change is getting worse and worse. But I feel like the more angry you are um, and the more angry like words you say to other people, the less they're willing to listen to you and the less they're willing to like work with you. So I think that having a tone of just like calmness and willing to like willingness to speak with others and listen to where others are coming from um, and then cooperating with others is really, really important now. I do participate in climate strikes, um, as well as many of my peers in high school. I think that policy is the real concrete solution to climate change. 
because we can't get any tangible change without creating policy and like creating systematic change. It's very important to build public knowledge and people are definitely talking more about climate change because of the work of these climate strikers. It's entering more and more into the public conscience, but you can build as much public interest as you want, but then someone has to actually do the work of building the policy, right? Because there's a lot of complexity there. That's something I've learned from this is that policy is way, way more complex, even if you factor in the complexity you would imagine as you know a regular citizen. Uh, there's so much trade-offs which have to be made. There have to be so many compromises, right? Because then when the rubber meets the road and you're trying to build policy, then you realize you can't go at the full steam ahead, which you originally imagined, because there's other people with different priorities. Us as youth, we have a tendency to want quick change, want systematic change, and want it now, when in reality, change always happens in increments and with compromise. And so I think that's a very important perspective for uh, youth to get as well, and that prepares them for whatever additional work they're going to do uh, when they get older. Working on this policy has taught Ahan, Aurora, and their peers many important lessons and new skills. I very much come to believe through things like CCL and things like what we've done in NGSEA is that the actual process of dem- of democracy, the thing which sets us apart from other nations which might not be as democratic, is that everyday people can have an idea about what, how they think policy should work and they can fight for it. They aren't just writing a letter to their representative, they're taking a very active stance and that's something which CCL is built off of, right? That people are giving so much of their regular time to fight for this process and it creates results. In speaking with these emerging leaders, what struck me most is how much they respect each other and enjoy each other's company. Jonathan explains they have created a positive culture in their group that benefits everyone. We are a group that is supportive of each other, a group that is always trying to learn, always encouraging folks to disagree, encouraging folks to grow and think about how they want to grow their skills. When you set high expectations for folks, they certainly rise to it. You know, our best research, our, our best uh, policy writing, you know, high school students have been a key part of all that. When I first started chatting with Jonathan, what stood out for me was his modesty. Jonathan constantly pointed to others when talking about the successes of the group. I asked Aurora about Jonathan, and she was full of praise. He's definitely one of the most, if not the most, hardworking person I know. What he started as a college student, becoming this, like, hundreds of, like, young people mobilizing together is really spectacular. I don't think he gets enough credit for what he's done. Jonathan Liu and other Princeton students who first began to work on New Jersey's climate investment and cashback policy tapped into the energy and enthusiasm of middle school and high school students. I asked Jonathan if he had any advice for climate groups who want to do the same. You tend to get especially energized from working with other youth. So I think putting youth in connection with each other. I think also the ways that we've been supported has been members of the community just willing to speak with us as we have questions. Also share advice because we, we are, because we are new to this. Sharing advice in, you know, in, in a positive way. I think we've learned a lot about how to work with communities, how to 
developed good policy in part because we've gotten a lot of good advice from uh, older folks. So I think like an openness to answering questions and building relationships with you. High school, college, these are some very, very busy times. So any ways that they can support in, you know, sometimes like logistical efforts or otherwise, I, I think is a, is a great way to approach it. And if some people are not interested in the climate solutions you are pursuing, Jonathan reminds us there is a lot of other important climate work to do. There are an incredible number of problems to figure out in thinking about how we address this climate crisis. How we work, how we eat, how we move around, how we you know, keep our homes warm, how we give care and give clinical care. There's so many problems in every single sector, in every single community. So I would just encourage folks, if they have the time, to work on trying to imagine and implement what this new clean and sustainable future will be that we all need to move to. Climate change is a paradigm shift, and there's so many new questions that we need, need answered, and everyone has something to add to that fight. I look forward to receiving updates from Jonathan, Aurora, and Ahan, and I will be sure to let listeners know about their progress. You can learn more about the New Jersey Student Climate Advocates at their Facebook page, facebook.com NJS Climate Advocates. That's facebook.com NJS Climate Advocates. Visit our show notes for that link and much more. Go to citizensclimatelobby.org slash blog and look for episode 45 of Citizens Climate Radio. Now it is time for the Art House. I regularly speak with artists who address climate change in their work. Today, though, I feature an artist who has not yet included it in her own. In fact, when I first approached her about climate change, she wanted nothing to do with it. Meet Shirley McMillan. I grew up in Lisburn in Northern Ireland, which is just about an hour south of Belfast. I've learned to say that I'm a writer. For a long time, I shied away from saying that, but I am actually a writer, so that's okay to say that now. Back in 2013, I had a breakthrough, well, a breakdown about climate change. And as many of you have done, soon afterwards, I began to tell everybody about climate change. Most people were not interested, especially Shirley. I recently sat down to chat with her about that reaction and how she feels today. I had this myth in my mind (laughs) that like all my friends and followers who loved my work would just step in line and say, that's awesome. And I posted something and you had such a like violent negative reaction. Do you remember anything about that exchange and what you said and what was going on there? Like I I remember it because you bring it up all the time. Yeah, I do remember that. (laughs) I think it was just that and this still happens like, Oh, like things that you read about climate change, like, and especially how the ordinary individual can deal with climate change, tend to be uh, really focused on what women can do, and especially women who have children. 
And I think, I don't know when you posted that, but I probably had a young child at the time. <laughs> you know, I was just like, oh, it's always on women to do everything. And, you know, it's really difficult having children. And, you know, we're not all thinking about climate change. And, you know, it's not priority for, for everybody all the time and stuff. So I don't know. I can't remember what my big problem with it was, but it was probably something to do with that. And just generally like feelings of guilt <laughs> combined with feelings that you're put upon all the time and expected to fix everything for for the world you know there definitely were a lot of people who felt that they should be enthusiastic about climate change but didn't actually feel it you know they they do they weren't like climate deniers or anything like that but they were kind of going well it's, it's hard to work yourself up into a kind of state of let's do something about this whenever you don't really feel like genuinely feel that bad about it but you know i've moved on honest what changed for you with climate change? It's, you know, I see you posting about it a lot and, you know, going to climate marches. Uh, what happened? How'd you get converted? Well, as with most things, it's probably your fault, but this really was because of you. Uh, realization that it wasn't just about planet dying. I mean, it sounds really terrible that, you know, as if that was not bad enough, but, but the idea that it, climate change is actually affecting people now, it is a social justice issue. That affected me a lot, I think, when I began to realise the refugee crisis, for example, has to do with climate change. You know, the people who are are affected by it right now are the poorest people in the world. So those things make it easier for me to want to be engaged with it and do something about it. Has climate change come up in your work yet? And and if not, do you anticipate it might? No, I don't I don't think it has really. I mean, like a lot of my stories uh, involve teenagers who are I suppose marginal characters in a way like they may have been excluded from society in some way so I mean I, I guess that it could but all my books are set in Northern Ireland so in general terms we're a fairly privileged place and we're not yet underwater <laughs> I mean like you know the uh, predictions for how much of our country is is going to be affected by rising sea levels is are quite horrific, but that hasn't really happened yet. And even in terms of like flooding and stuff, you know, that has been more of an issue with England. Yeah, it's not something that I've written about yet, but yeah, it could be in the future. And when it does come up in Shirley's work, I will be sure to let the world know about it. The reality is it's really difficult to produce good art about climate change. I know a particular writer who insisted on including climate in his latest novel. No matter how hard he tried, though, he couldn't make it work without it sounding clunky or preachy. Climate-themed art challenges artists to expand their skills. Not every effort is successful. Also, climate change isn't the only issue on the planet that requires attention. An artist needs to follow her own path when creating new work. Shirley McMillan is making a splash in Ireland and beyond with her young adult fiction. Her newest book is Every Sparrow Falling. To find out more about her and her books, visit her website, shirleyannmcmillan.com. Anne is spelled A-N-N-E and McMillan, M-C-M-I-L-L-A-N. That's shirleyannmcmillan.com. If you have an idea for the art house, feel free to contact me, radio at citizensclimate.org. 
Now it is time for our puzzler question. I received many answers to this one. You were at a political rally chatting with Heather. You asked Heather if she wanted to join your climate group, and she said, I don't have time for climate work. I work full time. I have two children in school. I don't have time to be protesting right now. Heather has a limited view of climate work. What did you have to say to her? Leslie Sand, a co-leader of a Citizens Climate Lobby chapter in Iowa, wrote, When I talk to concerned individuals that don't have time, I tell them about the Grand Canyon Project. I describe that I'm given a suggested script each month. It takes me about two minutes to make my call, then pass on the information that I've made the call. It's quick and easy, and it fulfills CCL's mission of working to create the political will for a livable world. Alan Leeserson from Nashville, Tennessee, had this to say, I hear you saying two things. You are very busy with work and family and don't have much time for other things. And also that you equate work on climate change with protesting, maybe because we were at this rally. This is not what I meant by climate work. Would you like to hear about a different way to work on climate change? Louise Stonington from Washington State CCL shared the following. Raising kids. When I was doing that, I hardly had time to comb my hair. I think it's the most important job in the world, creating relationships with brand new people. And that's what we do at Citizens Climate Lobby, build relationships, not with babies, but with people and our communities and with our leaders in a respectful and appreciative way. We hear their concerns about extreme weather, pollution, and democracy. Then we tell them that a clean energy economy will give us all benefits for profits, for jobs, for better health and safety. Many volunteers with CCL take one short action each month, like write a letter to their member of Congress, listen to a webinar, come to a meeting, send a letter to a newspaper, or invite a speaker to their workplace, church, or social group. Could I send you a link so you can send a letter to your elected member of Congress saying you are concerned about climate change and want legislation to get us off fossil fuels? Thank you, Leslie, Allen, and Louise, and thanks to the many people who sent their answers. I wish I had time to share them all. So, are you ready for the new puzzler question? Here goes. You're talking to your friend, Charles. Charles is concerned about climate change, but doesn't know what we can do about it. You explain carbon pricing. It's a powerful tool to help us decrease fossil fuel emissions. Before you can say more, Charles interrupts. Are you out of your mind? Did you see what happened in France when they tried that? Those yellow vest protests? It was a political disaster. You really expect that to work here? So, how would you respond to Charles? Send me your answers. Leave your name, contact info, and where you're from. Get back to me by March 15th, 2020. You can email your answers to radio at citizensclimate.org. That's radio at citizensclimate.org. Or you can make me do a happy dance by sending me a voicemail of three minutes or less at the following number. 518-595-9414. Plus one if calling outside the USA. That number again is 518 595 9414. We are coming to the end of our show, but first, 
If you like what you heard on today's show and you want to meet over 1,000 motivated, creative, and super nice climate advocates, consider attending the 2020 Citizens Climate International Conference. We will meet in Washington, D.C. June 7th to 9th, and I will be leading a workshop on creative climate storytelling. To find out more, visit cclusa.org slash June Conference. That website again is cclusa.org slash June Conference. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Citizens Climate Radio. If you want to support the work we do here, visit citizensclimateeducation.org to learn how you can make a tax-deductible contribution. The show is written and produced by me, Peterson Toscano. Other technical support from Ricky Bradley and Brett Cease. Social media assistance from Ashley Hunt Monterano, Flannery Winchester, and Steve Falk. Moral support from Madeline Perra. Thank you to everyone who has been sharing Citizens Climate Radio through social media and by word of mouth. You can find Citizens Climate Radio wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. That list is getting longer all the time. You can also listen at northernspiritradio.org. Join the discussion at our Facebook group page, facebook.com slash groups slash Citizens Climate Radio. You can follow us on Twitter as well at Citizens C Radio. That's Citizens, the letter C, radio, at Citizens C Radio. Feel free to tweet at me directly at P2Sun, the letter P, the number two, S-O-N, at P2Sun. Visit citizensclimatelobby.org slash blog to see info about our puzzler and find links to our guests. Citizens Climate Radio is a project of Citizens Climate Education.